Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I would invite you to take your copies of the scripture this morning, open to the book of Galatians chapter 4. In a moment we will read verses 12 through 20 of Galatians chapter 4. As we're here this morning, do you ask the Lord to be fed? Saying about that, your holy food, that we would take that food, that we would eat it, it would nourish us, not physically, but it would nourish our spirits, it would nourish our hearts, it would nourish our minds, and that we need it, we live on it. Do you live on the word of God? Is it the food that you need? The food that you cherish? Is it Christ whom you cherish? We are here to serve and to love and to worship the almighty, infinite, eternal, omniscient, all-powerful, ever-present God of the universe who is king over everything, who created everything by the word of his power, who spoke and brought everything that we know into existence. who, as the prophet Isaiah says, created the world by merely the span of his his hand. And that then, this great God created us, created mankind in his own image. To be his representative in the world to expand his kingdom over the entire globe, to demonstrate his great rule and his great reign for everyone to see, for the entire cosmos to see. Yet we have miserably failed this God. We thought ourselves to be wise, We thought ourselves to know better than God. 
And so instead of giving God the rightful place that he has upon the throne, we sought to put ourselves there. We've broken every one of God's commandments, whether by the letter or by the Spirit. And because we sinned against an infinitely holy God, we deserve an eternal and infinite punishment for our sin. But God, in his mercy and kindness, sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, became a substitute for us, living the life we should have lived, dying the death that we deserve to die, taking our sin, all of our sin upon himself, bearing all of God's wrath. In my place, condemned he stood, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Yet he died on that cross. He was nailed to that cross to die for me. He died so that I could live. He died so that I might be forgiven. He died so that Christ might be my highest treasure above everything else. He died so that I might have fellowship and know God and be known by God and be at peace with God and be one with God. He died so that I might have eternal life, abundant life. He died so that I might have joy. And then when my time came, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Confessed that I was a sinner. Confessed that I had sinned against this infinitely holy God. And believed that Jesus Christ not only died, but that he was buried, and three days later, up from the grave he arose. Triumphant, victorious, to show that his death was completely sufficient to atone for every sin that I ever will commit, whether past, whether the sin I'm committing right now, whether the sin I commit in the future, his death and his resurrection is sufficient to atone for all of it. And now he's put the Holy Spirit within me, who is there helping me every day sustaining me, telling me a very important truth. You are a child of God. You are God's son. Don't give up. Don't give in. Press in. Press on. And that God even now would bring trials into my life. And what does he do? He subjugates those trials and he forces those trials to do good 
unto me. He says, these trials will not overcome you. These trials will not kill you. These trials are for your good. They're for your benefit. They're for me to show my love to you. And then what do I do? Rejoice, rejoice in my trials. Because I know that God is working them for my good and for his ultimate glory. Do you ever question that? Do you ever think twice? God, I don't know why I'm going through this. It's because God wants to show you his grace, his mercy, his love. And that now we look forward to a hope. Christ, our hope in life and in death, knowing that we will one day see our Savior face to face. And what happens when we see our Savior face to face? What does the Bible say? We will become like him because we will finally, fully see him as he really is. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to be in his glory? Do you want to be in his light? Do you want to know his leading you do not know Jesus Christ today is the day of salvation today is the day to put your faith and trust in him today is the day to give yourself to him to hear his call when he says come to me all who are heavy laden and burdened and I will give you rest I will give you peace take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light you feel weighed down by the burden of your sin can know freedom in Christ today. Confess your sin to him. Tell him that you are a sinner, but not only do you admit and confess, you say, I want to turn from that sin. I want to forsake that sin. I don't want that sin anymore in my life. And you receive forgiveness. You receive faith in Jesus. You receive his grace in abundance. And you receive life. Today is the day. Don't put it off. Don't think that there will be another time. Every Thing that you are experiencing right now in your life. I don't care who you are. Everything that you are experiencing right now in your life is a gift from God. The fact that you are sitting in the seats that you're sitting in, the fact that you're breathing the air that you are breathing, the fact that all of your organs somehow are working in complete rhythm and conjunction with one another to make everything in your body function the way that it's supposed to function, the fact that you can have synapses that are firing in your brain to understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, that your ears can take in these sounds and they can make sense in your mind and that they can also travel from your mind to your heart and affect your soul and your will and your desire and affections, all of it is a gift from God to you. What are you doing with that gift? 
that, everything I've just said, that is the gift of the gospel. So let's read God's word together. Would you stand with me? Galatians 4, beginning in verse 12 through 20. As I get to the end, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and together we will say, thanks be to God. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, take your truth. Plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us into the likeness of Christ. And for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It was a dark day in the nation of Israel. It was a time of year when the kings would go out to battle. Enemies were being fought. Men's lives were under the threat of death. And if the thought of fighting in battle was not dreadful enough upon the people, the king, their leader, the one who was supposed to be their shepherd, sent the sheep out while he himself stayed at home. Here's King David in his own palace, in the safety of Jerusalem, while the men of his armies are engaged in fierce battles. And David, from this vantage point, his life begins to spiral out of control. If it's not enough that he wasn't leading the people, he sleeps with another man's wife, Bathsheba. And then once he finds out that he's gotten her pregnant, he tries to cover it up by calling her husband from the battlefield, trying to have him sleep with her, but then that fails and he takes further action and puts her husband in harm's way in the battlefield so that he is killed. We see sins like this, lust, selfishness, adultery, murder, that have rightly or that have greatly stained the king of Israel. We, may, we think this, where is the David that we once knew? Where is the David that is a man after God's own heart? The David who trusts God, the David that is so devoted to God. The events surrounding David's sin 
has only made the day grow darker so that we read in 1 Samuel 11, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So what did the Lord do? How was the Lord going to rectify the situation? How was the Lord going to restore David? It would not be an easy path, but it was a needed path that the Lord put David on through the voice, the confrontation of another man, a prophet who would speak for the Lord, a man named Nathan. It says in 1 Samuel 12, 1, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. It was the Lord's doing. Nathan was an instrument in God's hand to accomplish what needed to, be, what needed to happen in David's life. And what was David's problem? He was blind. He was blind to his own sin. He was blind to the fact that what he had done displeased the Lord. Blind to just how the dark had enveloped his life because of his sin. So God sent light through the prophet Nathan. And Nathan told David a story. A story about a rich man who had many flocks and many sheep. And another man who was poor. And this poor man had one ewe lamb. And this poor man, he loved this ewe lamb. He cherished it. He fed it from his own hand. Took care of it. It seems like he even slept with the lamb. It was like a part of his family. He cherished it. What happened though? That that rich man had a guest that came to his house and he wanted to feed the guest and so he prepared a meal. But what did he do? Instead of taking one of his own lambs from his own flocks, he took this poor man's ewe lamb, slaughtered it, killed it, prepared it for his guest and fed it to his guest. And David, at this point, his blood is boiling by this story and he is ready to kill this rich man. In fact, he says he deserves to die. And it's then that the other shoe drops and Nathan quickly turns the story around and exclaims before David, you are the man, David. David's been caught in his trap. His sin has been found out. And we hear God say this to David through Nathan. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? What was it that David had done? We can think of all of those sins, but underlying all of those sins was that he despised the word of the Lord. Nathan had been used by God to expose David's sin. David is cut to the heart by his sin. He repents and he is restored. But such repentance and such restoration came through what? Came through the faithful wounds of a friend. That's what we read in Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The wounds of a friend are meant to lead to restoration, are meant to lead to repentance, are meant to lead people to God. And so Paul here now in Galatians has been pleading with the churches in the region of Galatia, pleading with them to understand what they have in Christ, a Savior who took the curse upon himself, died in their place, so that they might say with Paul, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul has been pleading with them to understand that 
They are already offspring of Abraham because they put their faith in the offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ, in whom all the promises of God find their fulfillment. Moreover, Paul has been pleading with them to see that they were once slaves to sin, but now they've been brought into the very family of God to be heirs of God and so sons of God. Paul has been pleading with them not to turn back, not to turn away from Christ, not to turn to a different gospel, not to turn to a distorted gospel, not to turn to that which is no gospel at all, but rather to live in light of the gospel that they've already known and that they've already believed. And now Paul comes to them and pleads with them in an even more personal way. He says, you know me, Galatians, we're friends. Does our friendship mean anything? Does our relationship have any bearing whatsoever on what you are doing? You know the love that we shared. You know how close we were. You know what bound us together. And because of their relationship, Paul had to wound them. Paul had to confront them. Paul had to say something that was uncomfortable. Paul had to say something that they didn't want to hear. Something that exposed them. Something that would make waves. So why did Paul have to say it? Why couldn't Paul just let bygones be bygones? Why didn't Paul say, well, it's not that really that big of a deal if you're circumcised. It's not really that big of a deal if you go back to celebrate months and days and seasons and years. It's not really that big of a deal if you go back to the Mosaic law. Paul had to wound them because the gospel was at stake and because their souls were at stake. Souls that he loved that he cherished. These were souls that were worth fighting for. Fighting for the gospel, like Paul has been doing in the book of Galatians. Fighting for the gospel is fighting for life. That's why it was crucial. That's why it's so important. Paul refused to feed their ego. He absolutely refused to let them live in a way that was anti-gospel. When push comes to shove, when the rubber meets the road, what would you like? What would we all like? What's easiest? What's most comfortable? What makes us feel good? What feeds our egos? Telling us that we have it all together, that we're okay, that we can just rest on our laurels. How terrible if that leads to a life that is ultimately anti-gospel, anti-Christ, and anti-God. So Paul pleads with the Galatians based on their relationship, based on their friendship, based on doctrine and teaching. It's a relationship that they share based on God's word. But we need to learn from Paul what he is pleading and saying to us. So, number one, you can follow along in your bulletin if this is helpful. Number one this morning, remember the personal nature of the gospel you received. Remember the personal nature of the gospel you received. It's necessary 
for us to remember that the gospel message, the message of salvation, the message of truth that God so uses in our hearts and lives to draw people to himself and rescue them from their sin and from death and from hell often comes through relationship. Maybe you can think of someone in your life who was instrumental in leading you to Christ. Who was instrumental in you coming to faith. Maybe you can think of someone who put the Bible in your hand for the very first time. Often, I would say, I would dare say, there is a personal touch when you receive the gospel. We think of what Romans 10, 15 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Whose feet in your life were those beautiful feet? It's a shocking image, isn't it? I don't think of feet as beautiful. I don't know about you. How much more so in their day when you would wear sandals and your feet would go through things that we would not like to talk about. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And when you see their feet, you're like, this person has the good news. These are beautiful feet because of, this is, because of the message that they're telling me, the message that they're proclaiming. And so it was the beauty of Paul's feet that brought the good news into the lives of the Galatians. And his personal appeal starts with, brothers, I entreat you, I plead with you, listen to me as your brother, as one who cares for you, as one who loves you. Listen to what I'm about to say. I implore you, do not ignore it. And what does he plead for them to do? Become as he is because he became as they were. What is Paul saying? We need to read this in context. Let's start with the ground or the reason that supports his pleading for the Galatians to become like him. The basis for the pleading is that he became like them. To which I think he is referring what we already read in 1 Corinthians 9. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Paul is saying he was not living under the Mosaic law when he, cut, when he came to them. He was living as one outside of the law. And in fact, he had come to realize that the law could not do anything for him. It could not bring any righteousness into his life. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own that what? Comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is saying, I had to become like you, those who are not living under the Mosaic law. That's how the Galatians were living when he came to them. He came to those who were outside of the law. Outside in that they, he could no longer de depend on the Mosaic law for any righteousness of his own. And now, he's having to tell the Galatians to become like him. 
to not rely on the Mosaic law for their righteousness. Galatians, become like me. Don't think that you can keep the Mosaic law and that that somehow will save you, will somehow make you good with God. No, consider all of that man-made false righteousness that you think is in you, consider that as absolute rubbish and dung. Whatever you think you are gaining by keeping the law, count it all as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus the Lord and be found in him and in him alone. How ironic that Paul is having to tell the Galatians to imitate him since he at first became like one of them. He can proclaim and plead this case with such earnestness because of the mutual love and care and trust exhibited in their relationship to one another. When Paul first came to the churches in Galatia, they did him no wrong, even though they could have. And even according to the world's logic, maybe they should have. Our world today talks about the cancel culture where people are quickly cut off, canceled for something that they've done in their past or something controversial that they have said, not in line with the mainstream secular thought. It's as if Paul says, Galatians, you could have canceled me. You could have cast me out. You could have rejected me, but you didn't. Paul came to them preaching the gospel. And it says that it was because of a bodily ailment that he came preaching the gospel. Think about this. How great a sovereign God in his design and in his perfect plan that he had so ordained that this bodily ailment of Paul would get him to Galatia where he would preach the gospel to the Galatians. You understand what, what Paul is saying there? This wasn't my plan. My plan wasn't to come to you and to preach the gospel to you, but because I had this bodily ailment, God so used that in my life to get me to you so that I could preach the gospel to you and so that you could be saved. The Galatians should have been thanking God for Paul's bodily ailment because it was the means God used to bring the gospel to their ears so they could hear the truth of Jesus Christ and believe. You might be asking about this bodily ailment. What was it that Paul was dealing with? From the way that this is worded, we should recognize that this appears to be some sort of illness or some sort of disease, not an injury from persecution elsewhere. So, let me answer the question that's looming in our minds this morning. What is this bodily ailment that is plaguing Paul. I want to know. And so I'll give you the answer. Are you ready? I don't know. That might not be the answer you want to hear, but it must be the answer that we are ready to accept. Nobody knows. Was it epilepsy? Was it malaria? Was it an inflammation of his eyes? I don't know. And you know what? It doesn't really matter. This is where we must be careful, my friends, when we read the Bible, because too often people get tripped up and just have to speculate about what they think it is. I don't know what Paul's ailment was, and it doesn't really matter. If God wanted us to know, he would have been more specific. No biblical doctrine hangs in the balance. What we do know is that this condition was a trial, or I think even better, 
to be interpreted a source of temptation for the Galatians. So why was it a temptation? Because it provided a way for them to reject the gospel. They could have used this ailment as an excuse, as a reason not to listen to Paul. Who wants to listen to what a weak and sickly man has to say? But look at what it says. They did not scorn or despise him. These are strong words. That despising carries the connotation of spitting upon someone else, an ultimate sign of derision. They could have. It might have been something that in that culture they would have considered, but something held them back from rejecting Paul. Instead of throwing him out, they received him. And it's not that merely that they received him, it's this idea that they welcomed him. But look at how they received him or how they welcomed him. They received him like an angel from God. Who are, who are angels? They are God's messengers. So receiving Paul like an angel was the people also receiving the message that Paul brought as if it was a message from God himself, which it was. But then Paul makes an even greater comparison, doesn't he? He says, you welcome me as if I were Jesus Christ himself and as if Jesus Christ was speaking through Paul and the Galatians heard the word of Christ through Paul and so hearing the message of life and salvation, they believed and they were saved. It was as if Paul coming to them was like Christ was with them and they received Paul like they received Christ. They embraced him. Notice here, friends, notice the personal nature of the gospel. I want you to see, dear brother and sister, what Paul is telling the Galatians and what Paul is telling us. It's that the relationship with the Galatians, this friendship, how it all came about is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For not only did Paul preach the gospel to them, how he came to them, and how they responded to him is the evidence that the gospel of Jesus Christ had taken hold of their hearts and their lives. How did Paul come to them? Paul came to them in weakness. He had no form or majesty that they should look upon him, no beauty that they should desire him. It would have been right if he was despised and rejected by men as a man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He should have been spit upon and not esteemed. The gospel of Jesus Christ came to the Galatians as weakness. And just like the suffering servant, our Lord Jesus Christ, so Paul was a breathing, living picture before them, but God so worked in the hearts and lives of the Galatians that they did not reject the weak and sickly Paul, they did not reject the crucified Messiah, they embraced Paul and so embraced his gospel and so embraced Christ with complete faith and it brought this great fruit of blessedness in their lives. It brought the gift of the indwelling spirit into their lives. It brought redemption into their lives. It brought forgiveness of sins into their lives. It brought freedom from sin and death into their lives. It brought uh, uh, all the great blessings of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. It brought joy into their lives. And now Paul says, do you remember all of that? Do you remember all of the blessedness that you have in Jesus Christ because of the gospel? 
Do you remember the grace that was lavished upon you by God? Do you remember the mercy of God that's removed the punishment that you deserve? Do you even remember the deep, deep love of God, the love that is like the weight of an ocean upon your soul? I know you do because I was witness to the effects of this glorious gospel in your lives. I saw it firsthand because you were willing to dig out your eyeballs, if necessary, and give them to me. Now, this is why some people say that Paul had an eyesight problem or had an infection of the eye or something like that. That could have been the ailment. This, though, is really a figure of speech. It's like saying that person would give me the shirt off of their back. This is a figure of speech to show just the sacrificial love that these Galatians would have gone through to give Paul even something so precious so treasured as their own eyesight. What happens if you couldn't see? You see it in the Gospels, don't you? Who are those who are blind? They're beggars. They have nothing. They're outcasts. They're rejected by society. Paul says, you love me so much. You cared for me so much. I saw the evidence of the Gospel in you so clearly because you would have taken out the eyeballs from your sockets and you would have given them to me out of great love for me. You were willing to go to great lengths to express sacrificial, self-denying Gospel love to me. What happened, Galatians? What happened to that love? What happened to our friendship? Don't you remember the personal nature of the Gospel that you received? It came from me. It came from Paul. Our relationship, our friendship was this beautiful picture of the gospel put on display for the world to see. Has the gospel become sterile to you, my friend? Has the gospel become dry? Do you hold the gospel at arm's length? Have you considered the personal nature of the gospel? That God wants you, your life, your words to present the gospel to other people that, that we want Christ portrayed in us and through us that other people might see the gospel working in our lives. The gospel should shine forth in our relationships and in our friendships and it should completely baffle the world. What does it say about our relationships with one another if they look like the world? It says that this is a natural community. It says that this is a club. It says nothing special is going on here. But if it is a community that's built on the gospel and that the gospel is seen in our love for one another, then this church will be nothing like this world ever knows or ever can explain because it will be a supernatural, self-sacrificing, self-giving community where the Spirit's work is undeniable and that it's happening all around us and then Christ gets all of the glory. Is the personal nature of the gospel displayed among us, in us, and through us? Just as Paul says with the Galatians, our relationship was a picture of the gospel. Dear brother and sister, let our relationships with one another be beautiful pictures of the gospel for the world to see. And let us not let anything get in the way of that. Because we want Christ ultimately to get 
all of the glory. And when our relationships show and display the gospel of Jesus Christ, it tells the world a different story. It tells the world to forget depending upon yourself. Tells the world to forget to forget living for yourself. Tells the world to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning that you've given to us. Father, I pray that we would see this gospel in our relationships with one another. That you would so work in us and through us to proclaim this gospel, to display this gospel, and that we might ultimately see people saved. We desire to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And so may we see this happen around us, in our community, in our church. Father, this is not easy. But we know it's what you've called us to. We know you, it's how you've called us to live our lives, to live our lives in community. And we know that as we live with one another, we will continue to grow. We will continue to flourish. We will continue to praise you. And we will continue to give our all to you. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.